It's Rick Jones, Captain at Fishbait Marketing, coming to you from the bridge. We've got yet another special show for all you event marketers out there today. We're going to dive into the architecture of an event and how architecture can benefit both sponsors and fans alike. We're going to give you another Tuesday tip, plus we have Jenny Haig of Rise as our guest angler to discuss how she creates unique fan-engaging areas in stadiums and arenas. And as always, we'll close with another On the Road with Rick feature. So let's go to the back of the boat and dive right in. Architecture is simply all of the elements of an event, and each element can potentially be sponsored in some way. I'm amazed at how many events fail to check their architecture and let so many opportunities to monetize assets go by the wayside. Let me give you an example of one event's architecture. I've worked at many and attended over 25 Final Fours at the end of the NCAA basketball tournament. Years ago, the Final Four was just a set of basketball games, and those games were not even broadcast on television. The first Final Four was played in 1939, and it's a pretty interesting story. In the 1930s, the most important basketball tournament was the NIT in uh, Madison Square Garden in New York City. Well, the basketball coaches had formed their own trade association in 1922. Uh, The legendary Kansas uh, coach, um, Doc Allen, Um, had uh, created the NABC, and many of the coaches began to petition the NABC to run a tournament in the middle of the country because they were West Coast. And in that area, you had to travel by train, and it's a long train ride from California to New York City. And so in 1939, the National Association of Basketball Coaches and not the NCAA created the first Final Four. And they held it along the train line at Northwestern University in Chicago, in, in, in Evansville, um, Illinois. Um, and ironically, a West Coast team, the Oregon Ducks, won the national championship that year. Later, two years later, uh, the NABC sold the tournament to the NCAA, and the NCAA has run uh, the Final Four ever since. As I mentioned, it was ironic that a West Coast team, the Oregon Ducks, actually won the championship in that first year. And an Oregon alumnus is really responsible for what we consider to be the modern-day Final Four. Tom Jernstead, an Oregon alumnus, joined the NCAA in 1972 which was the year I graduated from high school. And Tom worked at the NCAA until 2010. And he's really the guy that made the Final Four the Final Four. Someone once said that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Well, Tom had the NCAA prepared when in 1979, an undefeated Indiana State team led by Larry Bird met Michigan State, led by Magic Johnson, in the championship game. 
that 1979 NCAA championship game is still the highest rated game ever and made the Final Four a must-see event going forward. Today's March Madness and Final Four is broadcast on both CBS and Turner Networks and around the world by ESPN. Today's Final Four has multiple assets which have been created. So it's just not games anymore. They do things like the dome dribble, where children are allowed to dribble a basketball uh, to the dome stadium. On Thursday night, they do a thing called the NCAA Salute Dinner, where all four coaches talk about their teams and the road and the journey to the Final Four. On Friday, they do a thing called Final Four Friday. This is a free event where you can come watch each of the four teams practice in the arena and then stick around for the college all-star game, which is sponsored by Reese's. They also now run a March Madness Music Festival with entertainment on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. And they run the March Madness Fan Fest, which has been called a lot of things over the years, from Fan Jam to Bracket Town to Hoop City. They also run a zillion peripheral events, both sanctioned and unsanctioned, like the three-point shot and slam dunk championship that Intersport runs and is broadcast on ESPN. All of these events have been created for the fans, and that's architecture in a nutshell. So how do you create and sell architecture? Well, the first thing you do if you run an event is you do an asset review. What are we currently doing that we have to sell? Secondly, you do a marketplace analysis. What can we create that the marketplace is lacking and or the consumer, the fan, is requesting? And finally, you create theming. What can we create and package into new saleable elements? Next, you create what my friend Rob Temple at ESPN calls swim lanes. Swim lanes are really our themes. You identify assets for each swim lane. You identify unsold or undervalued or underpriced old assets. And you design new assets from existing assets. And in many cases, you actually design new assets from new assets, totally new things. Who would have thought that a music festival would work at a men's basketball tournament? Well, it works extremely well. Next week, I'm going to continue our discussion on architecture by giving you two case studies. One is from a music festival event I helped create here in Charleston called Chaz Fest, and one is recent architecture I did for the University of Louisiana and Lafayette, Louisiana. Both will help you better understand event architecture. And now it's time for the Tuesday tip. Every event today must have a fan app. My good friend Gene Hallman of the Bruno event team has created an amazing game day app for those traveling to Tuscaloosa for an Alabama football game. It has everything you need to know about where to park, traffic conditions, traffic patterns, wrecks to avoid, what kind of special events and activities are scheduled for that day, 
and a whole lot more. Gene will be on our show soon to share more with us. When I went to Jazz Fest recently in New Orleans, I found out that they had a terrific and useful app with a list of artists and what stages and when they were playing, some background on each artist, what and where to eat with a description of the great dishes served at Jazz Fest, and the location of special events and retailers. If you don't have an event app, you need to get one. We've been talking event architecture today, and my special guest is one of the very best at designing unique fan experiences. Jenny Haig is the founder of Rise, a full-service management company providing design and branding integration with custom fabrication and construction projects. Jenny has over 20 years of experience working in the sports and entertainment industries, working for various teams, venues, contractors, and brands. Some of her many clients include the Minnesota Vikings, the Oakland Raiders, the Toronto Blue Jays, Coca-Cola, Miller Coors, and Target Stores, among others. Let's welcome Jenny to From the Bridge. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for being with us today. I am so fascinated by what you do. Uh, How did you get into this business? Well, thank you. And first of all, thank you for having me. I know this is a new venture for you with The Bridge, and so I'm excited to be here today and get to chat with you on my uh, Monday morning. So for me, getting into uh, this business was kind of unique. The path I think that I took was unconventional and not necessarily planned, but it's ended up working out well for me. So I spent five years on the sports marketing agency side in Chicago, kind of on the account management, event management side of things. And then I moved to Minnesota and spent five years at a custom event production fabrication company. And then switched over to the team side and worked for the Minnesota Vikings for five years. And that's where I really got into more of the large-scale construction projects, obviously building U.S. Bank Stadium and was there at a really unique time in the organization that really kind of propelled me into a whole unique aspect of, you know, all these custom-built environments and, you know, sponsor build-outs and activations. Um, And so with all those kind of different disciplines and various roles and various types of companies that, you know, I thought it was a unique opportunity taking all those perspectives and being able to kind of branch off and start my own thing. So just last year, um, launching Rise, my business. So working with sports teams, corporate clients, sponsors on how to really build out these ultimate fan experiences in a custom built environment. So it's been a, it's been a path that, yeah, like I said, a little unconventional and not necessarily planned in that way, but uh, it's led me to where I am today and I couldn't be happier. Well, it's interesting how all those stops along the way were touch points that kind of led you to to creating Rise. Let, let's go back uh, for a minute and talk a little bit about uh, what you did at the U.S. Bank Stadium. I had a chance to see the venue when I came up for the Final Four, um, and it's amazing. I mean, it's an amazing business. Talk about that project and talk about kind of the process of how you created those experiential areas. Yeah, yeah, it it is a beautiful building, and I'm glad that it's gotten to be seen on a national and global platform with both Super Bowl last year and Final Four this year. So it's fun to get to share those with others and people that maybe don't traditionally get to, you know, go to a Vikings game, but get to be in town to experience those. So the process, you know, for the Vikings um, executive team and ownership 
group, it was a long process of getting the stadium bill passed um, and then starting really that um, venture of getting it through design and, you know, getting up and running. It's a, you know, uh, just over you know, $1.2 billion stadium. So as you can imagine, lots of moving parts. So from the sponsorship side, it was really unique. The Vikings took a position where we really wanted it to be more the sponsor family for the stadium. We really wanted it to be more of a kind of local community aspect. So, you know, we had our big name sponsors, but we have a really unique landscape in the Twin Cities of a lot of Fortune 500 companies, a lot of companies that have headquartered offices here. You know, we've got the best buys, the targets of the world, but we also have a lot of other great companies. So our approach was, you know, really bringing those companies in. So it created some unique opportunities for us with the sponsorships where we were working with partners, frankly, that had never invested at this level and had never activated at that level. So there was a lot of kind of a learning curve and handholding with certain sponsors. You know, we, Ecolab, for example, Pentair, some of these sponsors that are more of a B2B and hadn't really done stuff with consumers. And so the process was unique for us. You know, we had a lot of help from, we had some outside agencies that would come in and work with us. And so, you know, we'd sit down with sponsors right off the bat and, you know, kind of catch them up to speed on the overall construction process where we were at in um, the building, but then specifically as it related to their area. So we had six entitlement club spaces, and then we had four gates that were our main kind of build-out spaces where we had to work with these sponsors, working with the architects, working with all of our contractors, um, really making sure that we understood the overall architecture and design of these buildings, but then how we integrated these sponsors into it seamlessly. You know, you don't want it kind of one of our themes was we didn't want to NASCAR it up <laughs> and have just logos splash around everywhere. You wanted it to be intentional and thoughtful. And, and, and that's a challenge when you're kind of marrying different brands together. And so a lot of the experience for us was sitting down with these sponsors, understanding their goals and objectives, understanding the Vikings goals and objectives, how we married those together in this venue. And then also there's the community kind of fan piece of it. What is it that our audience fan wants? What is it that the community wants to see? This was um, half funded by, um, you know, the state and the public. So there was a big piece of that as we're building out this building, but all these individual spaces that we want to give back to those people that have, you know, ultimately invested in this facility as well. And so there was a lot of, um, a lot of conversations about, you know, how to make this world-class and make this the best of the best. And that's the trend now with a lot of these venues is, okay, how do we become better than the last one that was? Yeah. How do you, how do you top the last one? Right. Exactly. You know, and you learn from the other ones too, though. I think that's a great thing. You know, we spent a lot of time with the 49ers and at Levi stadium, getting to understand what went well for them and what didn't. And they were always willing to share. And we did the same with Atlanta and Mercedes Benz. You know, we were able to share our learnings with them and ultimately that's also what led me to start Rise was getting to talk to these other teams or organizations that were building out these facilities, you know, from an NFL standpoint, but also baseball and, you know, hockey, these you know, minor league um, teams, but also major league teams. And so getting the opportunity to share those learnings, I think, has really been beneficial. And so that's led me to other clients and projects. I'm working with the Toronto Blue Jays right now. I'm going to be working with the Raiders on their new Las Vegas stadium. So being able to share those experiences, you know, is beneficial because you kind of want to make sure that you're ahead of the curve and learning from those around you that have been through it previously. What do you think makes um, great fan experiences in an arena or in a stadium? Yeah, I think a lot of what it is is that 
telling the story together and having this co-branded experience. So as I mentioned, there were goals and objectives from the sponsor. There's goals and objectives from the team or the client. And then there's the fan. And you want to make sure that all of that is tied together. You don't have a sponsor that comes in that has one objective and just wants to push their own messaging. You want to be able to listen to your fans and know what they want. And so, you know, especially with today's world with technology and everything being digital, you want to speak to those fans and you want to reach through all that clutter and build these unbelievable experiences. You want to create value. I know, you know, hearing your podcast last week, you know, talking about creating value for the fans and, you know, what is it that's going to make them stop and actually interact with something? You know, we want to get, you know, the butts in the seats at the games, but you also want them to experience the environment around them. And so the best activations that we saw in the best kind of sponsor relationships that we had were ones where we really sat down and tried to marry all of our objectives together. So you're wanting to reach a specific audience. That's why they're sponsoring an NFL team is they want to reach that audience. So let's look at that audience. Let's evaluate it. What's meaningful to them and what's beneficial to them. So creating experiences that the fan ultimately wants that also meets the objectives of both the client or team and the sponsor. Well, give us an example of of one of your favorite corporate sponsor activation areas. Yeah, so thinking about this a little bit, for me, it, it this one was kind of unique because it did exactly what I was just saying, but it did it in a very thoughtful way. So we had um, our plaza space at U.S. Bank Stadium was entitled by Medtronic. So it was going to be the Medtronic Plaza. And it was a massive couple acre plaza space. And so we said, what are we going to do with this? And it's going to be the main entry gate, you know, the main kind of iconic shot of the stadium includes this plaza space. So we sat down and we went through various kind of initial design concepts with Medtronic. And ultimately, we kind of kept coming back to that whole theme of what is what is this space meant to do? And it really is the gathering space for the games and then the events at the venue, but it's also a space for the community. So on the days that there are not events taking place, we want the community and the surrounding businesses around the stadium to be able to use the space. So looking at that and how can it be a give back piece to the community, we decided to come up with this custom art piece, which was unique. And I think we were all trying to figure out how does that tie into sports? Well, what we ended up doing and worked with a great architectural firm locally in the Twin Cities is we designed this custom 125 foot long by 25 foot tall art sculpture that represented the Vikings Galar horn. So that's the Vikings iconic horn um, symbol. And so they created this and it's a custom metal fabricated, almost looks like a ribbon that turns into the shape of a horn. And it's got the purple and gold colors. It's lit at night. And I mean, it's this, I mean, it's quite the investment from Medtronic's part, but it really, it did something more unique. And I think out of the box than any of us would have initially thought. And like I said, it married the the community kind of piece of it. This is something that we're giving back to the community and surrounding businesses and married the objectives of Medtronic to do something that was more community driven for them. That was part of their actual marketing objectives and goals for their sponsorship was a give back to the community. They're more of a B2B company, but they wanted to do the sponsorship to show that they were invested in the local Minnesota community and so it met their objectives. And then for the Vikings, it also pre- created more brand awareness in a non-traditional way for them. Like I said, taking their symbol and more of an artistic form really did something unique. We got great press off of it. I mean, it's something that, you know, still gets talked about. It's seen in almost all of our photos of 
the stadium, as I mentioned, is kind of the iconic shot showing that. And so I think it really created this unique value where it wasn't something that's just, you know, flashy and everybody, you know, sees it. It was, it was really intricately thought through and done well. Well, you mentioned your newest project will be with the Raiders and their and their new stadium in Vegas. You know, I, I think Las Vegas and the Raiders, what, what a great match. I mean, two brands that I think really fit together. Tell me a little bit about that new venture. Yeah, and, and you hit the nail on the head there. It's two brands that are really uh, striving together to do some really cool things. And so it's unique. Um, it's there from a construction standpoint, they're about 50% through construction. So I'll be working similar capacity to what I had done with the Vikings and working on all their sponsor build outs. So they're looking to have about 10 to 12 naming rights entitlement areas where we'll build out club spaces, plazas, et cetera. And what's unique is, you know, the way that the Raiders are positioning themselves in Vegas is unlike anything else. And we all know that Vegas as a city is unlike anything else. And so there's the style and personality of the city that's going to translate to, I think, how the Raiders brand themselves as a team, but also how the stadium is branded and built. And, you know, they want to do things untraditional. They want to do things unique and flashy. And it's got to feel Vegas. Um, but then the sponsors also have to be authentic to their own brands. And so I think it's going to be a unique challenge for us is to, again, marry those goals and objectives from everyone's different perspectives. But I think there's some really unique opportunities. And you talk about, I mean, a city that's got untapped resources. I mean, there's a lot from an actual production um, fabrication standpoint. And the company I'm going to be working with is Astound, and they're out of Las Vegas. And they've worked with some of the brands and companies that are in Vegas and they've built some unbelievable experiences. And so I think we're going to kind of push the envelope and try and see what unique things we can design and build. And I think they've got an interesting model to follow after with the Las Vegas Golden Knights and what they've been able to do. I mean, they, with T-Mobile Arena there and what they've done from a game production and kind of celebratory fashion and really celebrating what Las Vegas is. I think they've set the bar really high and the Raiders know that, that, you know, they, the Knights have done it really well. And so I think they're taking cues and learning from them of what they can do right, but also creating a whole new brand for the Raiders. This is a unique opportunity for them and for their sponsors to get to speak to a different audience and to get to, you know, on a global scale, push their brand out and make it unlike anything else. Well, it's going to be fun to watch and how you put your, uh, your personal fingerprints on, on that experience in a city that's really built on experiences any additional words of advice for our listeners on on how to start the process of creating these wonderful fan engagement pods? Yeah, I think I'm probably beating a dead horse here and just saying the same things, but I really think it's listening to all the different objectives and how you marry those together. So I think, you know, it's always at the core is what does the fan want and what is it that your consumer or fan wants? What are they going to react to? You know, now we know millennials and how to try and reach out to them more through digital and social, that those types of environments. But I still think there's something, you know, about these custom built environments and immersive experiences that, you know, you can add more technology to them to make them more relevant to certain demographics. So I think listening to your fan first and foremost and understanding what it is that means something to them, then taking the goals and objectives of your sponsor, your team, your client, and really figuring out how to do that well. And like I said, it doesn't always have to be something loud, flashy. It can be more thought through like an artistic piece, like the Medtronic Monument I mentioned. But I think just understanding the goals and objectives and how to do them all together and not have people independently trying to reach their own goals and objectives. I think really making sure that 
you're checking everybody's boxes and then ultimately you get the best product at the end of the day. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for joining us today. How, how can people follow you? How can they reach you? Yeah, you can. Uh, my website is risedbi.com, design, build, integration. Um, I've got social media, LinkedIn, all of that. You can find Jenny Haig. Um, I'd love to reach out as I'm starting this new venture. It's been wonderful meeting new folks just like yourself, Rick, you know, missing each other at a conference, but then being able to reconnect when you're here for Final Four. So I've loved getting to network and meet a lot of new people and you never know where your path is going to take you. And I'm glad that it brought us together and I'm hopeful that we get to get to work on a project together soon. Well, me too, because the collegiate space certainly needs a lot of uh, unique fan experiences and I'm, I'm certain we're going to find some things we can do together. So thanks again for being with us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Jenny Haig of Rise. Let's close today's show, as always, with our special segment, On the Road with Rick. I recently drove the famous Natchez Trace from Natchez, Mississippi to Nashville. The Trace literally ends in Nashville at a true road food legendary restaurant, the Loveless Cafe. It's a little ways from downtown Nashville, so a lot of people miss it, but you shouldn't. It's open seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. with great food all day, but I'm partial to their breakfast, which you can get all day. Try starting with eggs your way with either their famous fried chicken or country ham and their amazing made-from-scratch biscuits with homemade preserves. Add grits or potatoes, and you're ready to start your day. I'll see you soon at the Loveless Cafe. And that's our show for the day. We'll see you next week from the bridge. This has been your captain, Rick Jones, from the bridge. If you like what you hear, please share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. Troubles be